Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday evening, uh, still early enough in the week. And let me see if I can do the parsha. This was the Chai Sar. Uh, yeah, I was delayed a little bit on Sunday, as I said before, by the coming back from Muncie. But let me uh, jump into this. Uh, today's podcast on the parsha, Parsha Chai Sar, is being sponsored from abroad, from Australia, from Melbourne, by Dr. Lionel Shachna. Thank you very much. And, and uh, it's an honor of his father's yard set, which is coming up this Thursday, 22 Cheshwin. I think it's Thursday. Uh, and I asked him to say something about the father. It was very interesting, because the father was born in Cuba. Most people don't know what's going on over here. <clears throat> Could you escape from Germany or Europe to America? I think everybody knows, back in the wartime, they closed the gates. They wouldn't let you into this country. Uh, the quotas... And I think many people remember the story of the Voyage of the Damned, that ship, the St. Louis, which took all those Jews that were supposed to land in Cuba, because if you couldn't get in America, try to get into Cuba. And Cuba would not honor it. And they had to go back, and most of them were killed. I think many know that story. But you don't know the rest of the story, which is those people didn't have legal passports, meaning they didn't bribe the right officials. But about 10,000 Jews, something like that, maybe more, were able to escape from Germany and Austria, and even in the war, middle of the Second World War, there were some, a couple thousand, that were able to escape from Belgium um, into Cuba, because they said, we'll, we'll take the uh, diamond business, you know, these are the Jews from Antwerp, and we'll bring the diamond business to Belgium, which, uh, to Cuba, to Havana. And the Cuban government said yes, and uh, uh, Dr. Schachner's father, that's what he did, meaning his parents were able. And it's amazing, in the middle of the war, I'm not sure how they did it. And like I always say, it's a miniseries, because they had to run away from Antwerp into France. The whole area is already occupied by Hitler since the middle of 1940. Then they somehow made it all the way through France to the Riviera to Nice and to Barcelona. They were able to escape to Castro, I mean, to Franco, Spain. Then they made it over the ocean to Cuba. Oh boy. And uh, and then, and they were from, uh, there was a small from community in Havana. I think it was called Adasi Israel. And he was born in 42, 1942. Just imagine that. And grew up in Cuba. And they stayed from. That's the interesting thing. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't exactly call Cuba a big Malcolm Torrent. Apparently, that's what he did. Uh, then they moved to New York City. This is a typical Jewish family of the 20th century, tossed and turned like a storm, you know, by, by tempests, and eventually came to Australia. See, here it is, Antwerp, Barcelona, Cuba, New York, and then Australia, uh, for better work opportunities. That's strange, in the 50s. And then, um, and he met his wife, so she, her family came from Cairo to Australia in 54. 
And he writes over here, my father was was one of a small number of young from men in Melbourne in the late 50s. If he's born in 42, so he was 18 in 1960. So we'd say today one of the few young from teens in Melbourne in the late 50s, who despite now having the infrastructure we have today, did not sway one iota from what he saw in his home. Very impressive, right? Always was the first in shul every morning, same shit for 50 years. So that's that's just an interesting story by itself. That's a podcast on its own. So I pay tribute to the Shama Sham Shavan Aliyah. Thank you for the sponsorship. And by the time it's Thursday, hopefully this will be out. Um, now let's jump into our Parsha, which of course, the Chaisara presents several you know observations. First of all, you see, if you're myself a similar button, I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Avram buys the land from Ephron. Why didn't he just take it? After all, he just won the four, defeated the four kings. He could have said, look here, I defeat all these guys. I saved your rear end, all which is true. This is what I want. King, King, King of Saddam said, I'll give you all the money. You know, he could take it. And he even says, according to Rashi, You want to play ball? I'll be a gear and pay for it. Otherwise, Tosha will take it. It's interesting. Um, here we have the first Jewish uh, settlement in Israel, if I can call it that way, acquisition of land, and it's done through money. Later, it's done through violence and force. In the time of Abraham, it's done through purchase. In the time of Joshua, it's done through violence and force. Um, that's just interesting, because that's exactly what happened in modern Israel. How did you get the Jewish state? Well, you had the Yeshuv beforehand. Where'd that come from? They went to buy Karka in Palestine. Starting in the 1800s, especially Rothschild and places like that, guys like that. This is what they did. If they could have purchased the whole Palestine, they would have done it. Why not? They were only able to get a piece. Those pieces that Rothschild purchased or, you know, some of the other uh, land purchasing organizations to Karen Kayemet, uh, there was even some from things, as you know, not exactly Nissan Beck, but some similar things, uh, you know, to buy Karkot. This formed the basis of the Jewish settlement, and this formed the basis of the borders that were given to Israel by the United Nations in 1947. You know, yet Matula, all the way up north, that's because Rothschild bought some land up there and made a Jewish settlement said I already became part of Israel, otherwise it wouldn't be. I'll just give you one example of many. You know, the Jezreel Valley and so forth. So it's very interesting. And I, I repeat, if it would have been possible for Rothschild, I'm talking about Edmund Rothschild, to buy it all, he would have bought it all if it was available for sale. But once he started buying, that naturally drove the price up. And, you know, the Arabs didn't want to sell and so on and so forth. In the 1830s, the Seahurst Collisher wrote at that time to the Rothschild, in uh, Frankfurt, I think. That time, the land was cheap. There were 300,000 going living in the whole Israel. You already said 300,000. And he said, you're a billionaire already in the in the 1830s, relatively speaking. Just buy it all now. Buy all the karka. <laughs> Legally. Avram does this with Ephron. And he's willing to meet his price. And he's willing to haggle with him. He's willing to lower himself. And, you know, Tunuli Achuzas Kebri Mochan. Right, please let me bury my wife. And he wants to go all the formalities, and for some reason, Torah gives you whole details over here. 
especially if you go like the Chazal, you know, Hamarav Asoda Shabbat B'cholitza Shabbasoda. The Chazal say he was giving like a uh, a real estate contract, which lists all the borders and outstanding features of it. The Torah goes to the trouble to tell you everything was done according to the laws at that time of contracts. Uh, apparently, to destinate the Jews to first go through a process of buying the land, and then in 1948, when the war broke out, end of 47, and they attacked us, and Israel attacked back, that's when they took over a whole lot more land than they had purchased. That's the state of Israel today. Or, you know I mean? The old borders were 67. A whole lot more land than they had purchased. So it's almost the same thing. First it was through Kesev, and then it was through Muhammad. The Rambam famously says, I don't have it in front of me, but I remember the Rambam says, the Kedush Hashan is bottled, but the Kedush Hashan is not bottled. The Kedush Hashan got through war, and when it comes to war, he says something like, Kabbalah Polto. You, what you conquer in war, you can lose by being conquered in war. What you acquired in war, you can lose by somebody else beating you and taking it over. But what you get through Chazaka, working the land, settling on it, that cannot be undone even if somebody drives you off it, which is an interesting idea. Maybe that's what was inspiring Avram. If my descendants go and conquer the land, that can be undone. Kabbalah Polto. But if I buy it, if I set an example of establishing a non other something other than violent acquisition of the karka, have more of a kiyam. I'm not 100% sure about this, but this it struck me when I'm looking at the parsha today that it's very reminiscent of what happened in modern times. Um, it was just interesting. You know, it, first comes the money, and then comes the other stuff. So uh, it's, it's a food for thought. Why? I'll say it again. If the Torah tells you this, it must be of significance. You know? So, why is it significant that before Abraham can conquer the land, he has to buy it? At least make the, make the first of the purchases. The first set of purchases. There's some, there's got to be something deeper in it. Uh, a guy in my show, Rabbi Semenowitz, told me a vart just for a joke. He said, Overla Socher, which of course means, as we all know, fungible. But he said, Overla Socher, it was cash. The kind of thing <laughs> that makes a Socher do a virus. Overla Socher. Must be a Hasidic vort somewhere. <laughs> Sounds like that. The kind of thing you do a, a virus for, which is cash. And it, and it was funny, but it immediately reminded me of a story of a certain person who remained nameless that I know. And he told me that, um, maybe I told you this once. I, I must have been years ago when I first started in the rabbi business. And I must have made some kind of speech about honesty or something like that. You know, L old time and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, glot kosher, glot yosher and all that business. And the guy came over to me and he said, you know, I appreciate what you said. We have to understand something. Rabbis don't get it. It's very hard. Out in the real world. It's very hard. And then he told me the following. My father, who's a prominent person in his profession, his area, told him, this person is talking to me, when you go out from Yeshiva into business, I want you to be 200% honest, not 100% honest. 200% honest. 
And he said, you know, it's hard. Because I had a guy go and, sti and, and stuff an envelope in my back pocket with 30,000 bucks in it. I had to take it out and give it back to him. Because he wanted me to do something that's not right. I tell you the truth, that's in the sign, baby. 30K, stick in the back pocket. Most people <laughs> would keep walking, you know. Get sick and I'll use the money. I'll put 15 down to find the rabbit. will give me an answer, you know. <laughs> keep the other 15. It's it's hard. So every last second, they say it's the kind of thing that makes a circle do an avera. You know, there, there's a, there's something deep in that. And on the other hand, you know, what was Ephraim like? <laughs> Ephraim was the kind of guy who would not take the 30 grand out of his pocket and put it back. But the other thing, of course, we have in the parasha today, as everybody knows, is about the Shaduchim, uh, which now I read in a different light now that my kids are married. But maybe you don't. If your kids are not married, it's not funny at all. Uh, Eliezer, of course, is told to go for the Shaduchim, as we all know. Um, here we run into interesting concepts. I'll tell you what I mean. We all know that Eliezer goes and does Nichol. She said the first girl that comes out and does her camels, you know, she's the one. Everybody knows all that. Now, I bet you everybody even knows the famous observation, Shlosh Shalosh Kahogan, Venenu Shlokogan and Kahogan, that even Eliezer didn't do the right thing exactly, maybe. Maybe. He shouldn't have said the first thing that comes out. Maybe it would be a big, big girl. But Hashem made it happen anyway. We have, in Judaism, Hashkacha Pratis. Now, the Rambam and many of the medieval philosophers said that Hashkacha Pratis is literally that. It's for the few and the select and the elite. If I remember correctly, in the Murder of Uchma, I believe, the Rambam says that the story of Eliezer in this week's Parsha is precisely to illustrate the Hashkoch Pratis. You know what I'm saying? You know, he goes there, he says, Noel happens to be a perfect girl, the girl's willing to come back with him, all the plots against him are, are, are foiled, it all turns out happy ending. This is, as even the Goyim said, Me Hashem isn't that what it says in Parsha? Hashem Especially, by the way, <laughs> you have to understand, you can, it depends how you read it. You can read the Parsha and tell you, oh, this Shidduch is from the Lord. Maybe they said it out of sincerity. It's also possible they said it as they were counting their cash. Because <laughs> he gave them plenty of money. Uh, their valuables. And so, very piously, like Uriah Heap, he said, oh, my Hashem Yotzadavar. Thirdly, if it's true that they tried to poison him, but the poisoners got poisoned, as we all know the story, then maybe that led them to say, all of our plots against you have failed. And it's weird. Usually, when we make our minds to knock somebody off, they get knocked off. You must be under divine protection. So they're saying that sort of ruefully. Um, you know, it could be. But the point is, this is exactly a case of the Ashkacha Pratis. On the other hand, we don't find Eliezer conducts himself that way. At least not to me. It's very interesting. I always remember every year that Eliezer puts himself by the well. Um, Lace, uh, 
they used to say Sashavos. And the women would go and get water to well. And the Medrash, as I remember, says something along the lines, when you're in Shaduchim, you listen for the dogs howling. Here, let me find it. It's an interesting expression. He says when... Um, one second over here. Uh, uh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, when... It's a good line. I'm sorry about that. Well, that's what it says. Hold on a minute. Here it is. The end of Parsha Nuntes, I guess. So, so, both Amravuna, Beshosh, Adam Holoch, Lika Hisho, when you go in Shaduchan, Beshama Kol Kalbai Menachin, and you hear the dogs howling, Humatis Mayne Norman. You listen to what they're saying. Lace Sesa Shobos. Now, the plain meaning of that. Literally is, you look for every omen. When you hear the dogs howling, you read omens. But really what it means is you listen to all the yentas and the big mouths and the blabber mouths and the lush and harnikas. Right? Yenta telephone. Because there's a time for lush and harn. There really is. If I'm thinking of getting married, the shacha may be lying to me. I've heard it happen before. <laughs> I want to find out if there's anything I should know. You know, the girl gave three references, four references. You know, they're on the team. They're not going to tell you the real thing. And so, you have to listen to the dogs howling. So what does all he has to do? He puts himself in front of the supermarket, sell my market, by the makeup, by some, you know, where people go and hawk. Where they talk, where they act. Wherever the local places that they act. In those days, it was by the well. In the evening, when all the women come and see each other while they're getting the water, and this one tells this gossip, and that one tells that gossip. That's not a, who Eliezer usually was. Eliezer usually was Eliezer Ebed Avram. He was above such junk. But there's a time and place for everything. Right? So he might have run into Rivka, and she may see like a fantastic girl, and this meet us and that, but it'll go to here. Have you hear what Rivka did last time? She murdered two boyfriends. She did this. She did that. You know, she is a notorious so-and-so. You never know it by meeting her. Oh, that's how Shaduchim are. The girl cannot tell who the boy really is and vice versa. Isn't this the nightmare of the Shaduchim? I don't know who I'm meeting. I don't know who they're sitting on my daughter with. I don't know who they're sitting on my son with. May turn out to be a monster. You don't know. Everybody says this, everybody says that, but it doesn't mean it's true. When I say it's true, it doesn't mean it's the whole truth. Get it? You know, the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They tell you the truth, but they leave out part. You know, Hitler was nice to his mother. <laughs> That's all you need to know. So, uh, Eliezer does a heck of a lot of hishtadlas for somebody who's on a hashkacha practice mission. That's my point. It's, it's just very interesting in terms of Shaduchim. Especially if you go with the Chazal that he had feasts there. You know, he left and instantly he was in his destination. So, it's just funny. Here I am, I'm Eliezer. I had miraculous... I see that God is operating here. I should have blind faith. I should simply say there, the next girl I meet is the one. Because listen, if Hashem gave me Kvitsa Derech, 
we're running on miracles here. If you're running on miracles, I don't need no uh, uh, tests or, uh, you know, nichlus or simonim or anything like that. But you see, it's not exactly so. When it comes to Duchem, or, or maybe in general, you can't be Samach in this kind of business. I think it's a very interesting lesson you learn from Eliezer. He will do the maximum Heshtadalus. And then you hope for the Hashgacha process. So in other words, I myself, I don't know if I ever told you this, the year or two after I got into the rabbi business, we had a meeting at Avada Rabbanim. I'll never forget this, in Baltimore. And I think it was at the time of the Intifada or something like that. I can't remember exactly. And somebody said they should say Tehillim, right? And Tevada Rabbanimim, you know, and there was an old rabbi uh, who's no longer alive. He said, no, you have to get actively involved and try to help out the situation. Call your congressman, this, that, and the other. Do your Heshtalus. And then you say to Tehillim that the Heshtalus should work. But it's not in place of the Heshtalus. I think that was a very interesting episode. You daven, you say, tell him you do all that stuff, but that doesn't absolve you, even if you're Ashkach Apratis, that doesn't absolve you from doing what you need to do to do the Ishtadlis. Eliezer has Kvitsa uh, Derech, but he crazy. He says, I still have to put in maximum effort. And then I hope, Hashem Avram, Hakrei Avram. I have to hope that even with everything that I did, and all that I did, I still need good luck. I still need divine providence to make it work. So you learn a lot from Eliezer. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, uh, Shaduchin, let's put it this way. Do we say this by all Shaduchin? You know, the Rambam, of course, right? The Rambam uh, said it's only for the elite. So the modern way, especially after the Baal Shem Tov is everybody, every blade of grass gets a Shkocha Pratis. And so, anybody gets married, it's a Shkocha Pratis. What about when it doesn't work out? That too was a Shkocha Pratis. <laughs> you were meant to get, uh, you know, messed over. Uh, that's very deep. Very deep. Uh, we see when it comes we see when it comes to Shadukim in general, I would call the hand of providence because it's so improbable. You know, you look who gets married, A to B, B to A. A lot of times, you never figured he'd end up with the her. You never figure a girl like this would end up with a guy like that. You know? Isn't that true? And in the end, they make it work. Usually, sometimes they don't. But usually, and so it's you know, not a natural sort of process that because you grew up here and you went here and he went there, so it's kind of natural that the two of you would meet and get married. It doesn't go work like that. Let me put it this way. It often doesn't work. Sometimes it works like that. It often doesn't. And in our time, you know, you, you kind of see the Ashkocha in the marriage and the Shaduchim. I think everybody who ever goes through the process all of a sudden gets religious that way. And not simply because you're an atheist in a foxhole. That too is true. Right? That is a fact. But also because you see, you know, this is your daughter ends up something like this, or your son ends up something like this, or neighbor's kid ends up marrying that person. That's never who I would figure. And 
you know, I'm not even talking about a situation where he's from Cucamonga and she's from the moon, you know, and how did they even meet, you know, like my parents after the Holocaust, the whole time was Andromusia, you know, so it's not normal. But Shaduchim is a funny business that way. And indeed, Yitzhak does not marry a local girl. You know, he marries a girl from a place he never heard of. Well, he heard of it, but, you know, he never saw her. So it's um, very interesting how this applies to the Shaduchim. And um, there's a very famous Medrash. It's not in this week's Parsha. It's a very famous Medrash. Uh, you probably heard of it. Where it talks about this phenomenon and how uh, screwball the whole Shaduchim is. And I find an interesting Medrash. It says, Matrona Shalos Yisimichalavtan. A Roman noblewoman, a Matrona, a matron. As Rabbi Yosef Chalavta, Amalo, the Kamiyam Barakash Bacho is Allah. He must have been dabbling in Judaism. How long did it take God to create the world? He said six days. Right? What has God been doing since then? After all, he finished the job a couple thousand years ago. Now he must be unemployed. He already made the world. Now it doesn't say that as Maimonides. He sat down and explained to this Roman noble well when it says he rested by office. Doesn't mean he mavish rested. It means he went into a different type of creative activity called Shabbos resting. Right? Uh, but he still keeps he's still holding by Mechadish He didn't do that with her, for whatever reason. He probably figured she's some ditzy blonde or something. And so he said, uh Ever since then, God is working on Shadukim. It's a full-time business. You got the human race, got millions of people. They match this guy with this girl and vice versa. It takes a long time. Beat the show plenty of plenty. It shall plenty the plenty. Mama shall plenty the plenty. Isn't that interesting? Beat the show plenty the plenty. I understand. This guy's daughter to this guy's son. It shall plenty plenty. God is also working on the divorces and the second marriages. And the third marriages. Hear that? Isha shall play the point. Or widows. You know, life is not necessarily the same spouse. And finally, mama shall play the point. <laughs> that is a full time business. So she laughed at him. And she said, So in other words, he gave her, I would regard this as a flippant answer. He could have explained to her, you know, philosophically, God is running the world from behind the scenes. And all that business, that is the Jewish belief. But he did, if he would have done that, she probably would have said, don't say that, you're all full of it. And so he dealt with her on her, on her level. And they say he's working on Shadukim all the time. And she said, that's silly. I can do that, because as a Roman noblewoman, she owned tons of slaves. I have many slaves, male and female. The Shal Kalani I can do like Reverend Moon. I can match them all up, you know, line them up with two lights and this, you marry you, and that one marries that one, and done. So the rabbi said him, Kali Maybe it's easier for you, but God finds it hard. It's as hard as Kriyas Yamsu. And then the rabbi hit the road. So obviously, like I said before, he must have felt he's talking to a dumb blonde. Uh, and then she got interested, obsessed on this subject. And so she just made an experiment. Not to Elfa, what about Shvachas and many Shuan Shuas? 
See, Mama did like Reverend Moon. She took 1,000. This shows you how rich she was. She had thousands of slaves. She took a 1,000 male and lined them up. And she took at random a 1,000 female. So that's, you know, it, it, let's put it this way. The first, and she married the first two, the first guy in the row, but the first girl in the second row, the second guy in the second row, the second girl in the second row, in the female row, the third guy in the male row with the third guy in the female row, totally at random. And she said, you're all married. Plony, 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 And she put them all together, meaning, and then she said, go live a married life uh, that night. And everybody came back next morning, bloody and beaten, because they got in the fights. This one's eye not all ball was knocked out. This one had a bashed in head. You know, this had a broken leg. As we would say today, domestic quarrel. But times a thousand. Amr the said what happened. And each guy said like this. The girl you assigned me, no way. Lace on the I don't want it. And the girl said, the guy you assigned me? No way. It was a bad shit. So you see, it's not like mating two dogs. It's not like mating two animals. So then she says, oh, to match the right one, the right one is an art form. She called the rabbi. She said, I guess, your Torah is true. Now I see it's not bold because I tried it. I see how hard it is. There's no God like your God, your Torah is true. No, Martin. What you said was a good word. And the rabbi simply said, <laughs> I told you, in you may think it's easy. God finds it as hard to do as Kriyasiyamsu. Why? So he said like this Because Hashem can make a boy and a girl meet each other. And for stupid reasons, they don't want to get married. You see it all the time. You know what I mean? This guy said, I don't like this. Everyone said this. You know, silly reasons. But the Shachlans will tell you. Um, and what happens? I got his Baruch Oseh Mezafka Balkarach Shlobot Tavosim. So therefore God makes it happen whether they want it or not. Like I said, they'll bring a Holocaust and they'll put the girl from here and the guy from there and they'll say, you guys are getting married because you're only two Jews in this town. And does he does. You saying? Or in America or anywhere else nowadays, they really could have gotten married 10 years ago. They had to wait till she was the last girl in the class and he was the last guy in the class. And because they were desperate, they finally agreed to go out, which they wouldn't do for 10 years. And when they went out, guess what? They got married and it was and it worked out fine. And now every anniversary they're saying we should have got married 10 years earlier. I know a lot of people like that. And so do you. Right? God makes it happen whether they want it or not. Meaning, he arranges circumstances in such a way. Right? He arranges circumstances in such a way that, you know, it happens. You think you're making the choice, and by the way, you are, but it is circumstances that are compelling you to make that choice. I repeat, you are making the choice, but it's mega trends and circumstances that are causing it. It could be something as mega as a war or a holocaust. It could be something as trivial, as I said before, being the last person in your chavra, and you're still not married or something like that. Or whatever. You know, a lot of a lot of things along those lines. I know many stories, and you know many stories. Uh, so you see over here, from this matter, it says acknowledging that the Parsha Shadduch is very Masubach. 
Eliezer, because he was on a mission for Abraham, he got fast-tracked. As we would say today, Yitzhak and Rivka are lucky. The first, <laughs> he married the first girl he went on a date with. She married the first guy he went on a date with. I knew some cases like that. I actually made a two shidduchim like that in the past. But it doesn't happen too often. Right? Yitzhak didn't have to do nothing. The first girl that was proposed worked out and they had a good marriage. And same thing with Rivka. Right? And you see, Rivka considered herself lucky getting Yitzhak because when they say, do you want to wait 12 months? <laughs> right? I'm getting the heck out of here. She didn't want to hang out in Lovin and that whole gang anymore than necessary. You know, she, she grew up among us. She knew what she was dealing with. And so they ever said, we're out of here. There we go. So you see many interesting uh, lessons, I would say, hashkafas about Shadukim. But I am very well aware that this is only of interest after the person's already married. When you're in the parsha, you don't want to hear Moses Shemuzim. You don't want to hear Var Torahs. You don't want to hear, um, let's write, stupid remarks that people make. You don't want to hear patronizing remarks that people make. It's all anti, uh, uh, what's the word, We're counterintuitive. You don't want it. It's, it's a painful and it's stupid and you have nothing smart to say. If you want to, say, if you want to speak Tachlis, Say, I have a girl for you. I have a guy for you. If you do. That's a, that's a, a, a constructive thing to say. But don't just stop as I said. Oh, when he gets married, eh, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, I've seen this many times. And those who are in the parsha uh, can look. But you have to look with discerning glasses. At the story with Eliezer. Now, again, he has, you know, extra Hashgacha protests. But nevertheless, I say before, what he does by way of Shtadlus, what he does by the way of Zizrizis, when as soon as he says, this is the right girl, he says, short engagement, right? You know, he doesn't say, let's wait a long time, and all that kind of stuff. Let's, let's execute this deal. You know, there's no coincidences. And it just so happened, uh, let me get this. I'm, I'm now uh, doing Kisubas. It just happened to be today. Oh, here it is. This is really interesting. I just happened today, not long ago, looking at the marks. This is something I'm doing for a project. Oh, yeah, it took the long time. Anyway, and it says, how do you know you give a, a basula 12 months to get ready for the wedding? Because it says, you know, meanwhile, sorry. Notice I'm posting in this week's Parsha. It's like the afternoon Zion, something like that. Thanks, Subas. I just happened to see it, uh, coincidentally. So they were ready, in normal parlance, to have a 12-month engagement, to use our modern terminology. Rifka said, no way. <laughs> she's not interested in that. So she's a young girl, she's very smart. And we can all learn from that smartness. But again, it's easier for easy to say. You know, it's not so easy to do. There's also a lot about Lovan, who, of course, is our ancestor. But I'll save that, I guess, for next week or the week after. Because uh, I've gone long enough. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Lionel Shachna out there in Melbourne. And uh, wish everybody a good week.
For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.